Sparkin' Conversations, a podcast for electricians, hosted by an electrician. The Electrical Association is committed to keeping electricians in the know about the latest developments in the industry. Experts will be on to help answer the tough questions, talk shop, and give tips to help make your jobs work. Welcome to another podcast edition of Sparkin' Conversation, a production of the Electrical Association. I'm Mike Miller, your host. Today, our guest is Kate Bischoff, the founder and CEO of K8 Bish, LLC. She is a human resource professional, an employment law attorney, and an adjunct professor of HR compliance. She has seen a lot of inappropriate things in the workplace, but has known a lot of the people who are doing that to make it the best of an organization that it can be. These are some of the things that inspire people to make workplaces better. Well, Kate, welcome to our program. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. As handbooks set the stage for rules of employment, do contracting firms usually get it right when it comes to conveying the message to employees about things such as expectations, performance standards, discipline policies, and wage and scales, and other benefits? No. That's too <laughs> I, simple. I, no, no. Well, I get it. And I get that it is really hard to do this because when you're a new contractor and just starting out, your focus is on getting customers, getting electricity in, doing a good job and hoping that they're going to be a referral source for you. So I get that you probably stole your handbook from what other company you were working for and you're just trying to put it in place and make sure that it works, but it doesn't do the job for your organization and for what you want your people to know. And so oftentimes you call someone like me to help fix it, to make it yours, but usually that happens a few years into it. First, it's slapdash to get everything started and hopefully start making money. And then by the time it gets to, oh, I maybe really should pay attention to this, then someone like me comes in and then we make it our own. That makes all the sense in the world to me, believe me. Well, look at the next thing I just want to ask you, and that's when considering an employee, Kate, what are some of the things that a company should improve in or add to their handbook that considers the document to be more palatable, understandable, and even more user-friendly? Oh, the first thing you need to think about is how long your handbook is going to be, because I cry a little bit when I see a handbook that's more than 35 pages long. Because I know that no employee, and especially not an electrician, is going to go, ooh, I should read this, when it's super long. So the shorter, conciser, the easier to understand language in your handbook, the more likely an employee is actually going to read the thing. They're going to promise they read it because you're going to make them sign an acknowledgement. But if you really want to set the tone and really establish the handbook as your own, it needs to be something that reflects you. And you guys don't talk more than 35 pages about what you expect employees to do. So make it shorter. I imagine because of that, in your walk of life as being an attorney and a consultant on handbooks, you probably do a lot of explaining to employees what's really in it. Oh, absolutely. I spend a lot of time, particularly on organizations that are larger than the average contractor, we will come up with the handbook, then we will spend two hours training managers on what's in the handbook. Because you can have a handbook and you can put it on the shelf, but it, it means nothing unless a manager actually understands and can hold people accountable to what's in it. So I will do a kind of a twofer for some organizations where it's we create the handbook and then we train managers on it. 
Okay. Well, further, as you probably reviewed many company handbooks, what are the few things that seem to get left out or not enough attention given to to establish the management's feelings on certain situations and conditions? Ooh, left out? Left out is hard um, because most of the time it's something like what the tone of the workplace is going to be. Like, we're going to create a respectful workplace. This is the expectations we have for employees. That kind of gets left off. It's sometimes included in a sexual harassment policy or harassment policy in general, but I don't see the what we want to be because a lot of employers look at handbooks as these are the rules, not what we aspire to be. And a handbook can include that what we aspire to be. Boy, that, that's some powerful thoughts right there. Really, uh, that, that is impressive. And that leads me to ask a question that, that I've always thought about as I was an employee for 39 years. And, of course, back then, of course, the, the more was it we're just going to go by one. Who are we going to pay to make that? <laughs> we're going to pay $31 and we'll get it from Sioux Falls in the morning. <laughs> Period. Yes. That yes. doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. Um, and I often see handbooks that you know have come from somewhere else and my favorite is there's one place in town that i seem to follow their handbook like uh the contractors or the employers will have a handbook from this particular place and it will include things like we get to look in your purse if you have anything bad in it and right like that's the knee jerk oh my god i don't want a new employee to think that i'm going to look in their purse or into their truck or into that kind of thing the other piece that i see is that you cannot possess alcohol which, okay, fine. But if I look in the bottom right-hand drawer of most organizations, I'm going to see a bottle of booze or I'm going to see beer in the fridge. And so you make your handbook meaningless if you don't actually follow it. So there are lots of things that can be in handbooks that if you just step back and go, do we really mean that? No, you don't really mean it. So I'm crossing out a lot of stuff when I see those handbooks. Well, well, you know, that leads me to my next question. And this is really a logical question. How much legality should be placed in a handbook that says this is the law and we expect you to enforce it? Everything on the books, every codified law or? Oh, gosh, no. (laughs) That's my point. Where do you draw the line which you put in the handbook? So I look at a handbook as how is a handbook used by an employee? So if a handbook is going to be used by an employee for something that they need a resource on that they don't want to talk to somebody about first. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the big policies, like what happens if I or my spouse is pregnant? What happens if a customer calls me the B word, the C word, the N word, Mm -hmm. the six letter F word, right? What do I do in those situations where I'm not necessarily comfortable going to talk to my manager right away, but I want to know what the employer might do. So when I'm creating a handbook, I look at it as how is an employee going to read this? When might they read it? And then what do we want an employee to know that what we would do? So I'm looking at it as a resource for employees that set the laws, but there are some things in the laws that just don't make sense. Like, why would we have this policy? We need to follow the law, but we don't necessarily need this policy in a handbook. For example, when we hire a new employee, We make them complete an I-9, right? We make them show us their passport, social security card, driver's license, something like that. We show them the handbook that day or the next day. So why are we, why do we have an I-9 policy in the handbook? They've already done it. So we don't need to have that policy in there. So I'm looking at things like in a handbook that has meaning to an employee 
Certainly, we need to have an I-9 policy because we're going to need that policy for Mm -hmm. a lot of contracts we sign, state contracting, et cetera. But we don't need it in the handbook. Okay. This handbook's getting a lot of good discussion today. But as an attorney, I've got to ask you a question relative to legality of the handbook in itself. Does that become a contract (laughs) agreement? Okay, so first of all, I'm giving no legal advice in this podcast. I acknowledge okay? that. So I got I to gotta say that for purposes of my licensure. But the handbook, we put in a statement early in the handbook that says this is not a contract. And the purpose we do that is there's this case in Minnesota called Pine River that allows us to say these are our guiding principles and not a contract. Because if we create a handbook as a contract, we erode the what's known as the employment at will doctrine. Because now we have oh, a contract sure. and we don't want to erode that at will employment piece. So you'll see that Pine River disclaimer, what we practitioners call it, the Pine River disclaimer early on in the handbook. But there are some things that because an employee relies upon them that we have to follow through on. And that is things like PTO and whether or not it's paid out at termination. There are things like leaves that we have to give that kind of outline how we give them and we need to follow those. So they're not necessarily law, but if we want to have a trusting relationship with our employees, we want them to trust us and us to trust them. We have to do what's in there. Okay. That, that's always been a situation. And I, I know a lot of our listeners probably can relate to when your back is up against the wall as an employee. I have only one resource at my fingertips, and that's my ha- employee handbook. Can I go after my employee for what I perceive to be incorrect or wrongful acts that occurred to me or in the company? That, that's always a concern I've wondered about. It's nice to ask yeah. an attorney. <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to lead to litigation, like actual litigation in some cases where the employee can sue over what's in the handbook or what's not in the handbook. I think that's not necessarily actionable. But if you want employees to trust you and you want them to believe you, you better do what's in the handbook and you better mean what's in there. I think that's good advice for all of our listeners, especially, of course, this presentation is typically uh, geared to listen by our employees. It's just it's kind of fun to. Think of it from a contractor talking Mm -hmm. to the real authority having jurisdiction, as we call it in the trade. (laughs) You probably heard that term, uh, authority having jurisdiction in the electrical train. That means typically an inspector. They have the right to condemn or accept a job, you know, and that's... So that's what I'm asking. It's it's nice to know. Yeah, well, and I, I appreciate the comfort in black and white, except I'm dealing with people. I'm in the, you know, HR employment law field and, you know, people make everything gray. Oh, they do. (laughs) Well, then this one, this next question is a little bit off the path, too. I'd like to just run by it. But when considering security breaches and things like that, that employees are occasionally responsible for, could they ever be held financially liable for perhaps a a security leak or information or data leak into the, the public? Probably not. Okay. So when an employee is engaging in activity that is considered within the scope of their employment, the employer is liable for those activities, particularly when it's around data breaches, whether it's phishing, whether it's any of the craziness that can happen. Sure. Um, if an employee clicks on the wrong link, they're not going to be financially responsible for the fallout for that phishing or whatever that was because they were likely on their employer's computer, on their employer's email, on their doing their job, which is something that's not unreasonable for what they were doing. So we look at, is it reasonable for what they were doing 
should we expect that that would be happening, then the employee themselves is not likely to be liable for the potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars that can come from a leak like that. Well, it's always a scary thought. You hear it so much in the news lately about, um, boy, anything and everything occurring with employees did the wrong thing. And and I always just wonder because, of course, in the electrical industry, no different than others with uh the ability to do everything on online, of course, it's certainly a potential that I, I would be a little bit concerned about. Yeah, um, spend the extra 100, 200 bucks for cybersecurity insurance. <laughs> That's what I tell all my clients. Oh, I think most agency or entities I've ever dealt with do that. If you don't, whoa, it's yeah. a cheap investment. People get a little tired of, <laughs> I invest in this and I invest in that and I have all this protection. Do I really need it? Yes, you do. Yeah. That I totally am in agreement with you on that. Well, let's move on to our next question. It says, this, uh, when the electrical industry focuses heavily on safety, and that is, of course, done because of Minosha is watching us, and we're not ashamed of that. And we don't want our employees to die. Oh, my dear. We have so much to be <laughs> yeah. careful of with safety. And I tell you, we preach safety very heavily in the electrical association simply because it's what we do, and we want Everyone to come back to work the next day in the same condition they went left in. But uh, from your experience, um, tell us about the correlation between safety policies and the handbook. Oh, so generally I recommend that safety be held separately because those Minosha rules change frequently, um, especially mm -hmm. as we get new technologies. And so I don't want a handbook to be something that is constantly needing to be updated when there are rules that change frequently because the technology is changing or the, the Minosha regulations would be changing. So I generally recommend that we keep safety separate because also safety doesn't apply to your receptionist. Safety doesn't apply to your call center. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> but so, but so safety comes in something different. Mm -hmm. um, it is in your safety handbook or your safety policy manager, your SOP, whatever you want to call it, it gets done separately. Because also, while employment law change fast and they change frequently, they don't change as frequently as the code could change. Um, and there's a different focus on safety that we can point to, this is the safety rule that you violated. This is why this was dangerous. Um, and I, I generally recommend that they be separate. Now, there are some safety things that get in the handbook, like we don't want you to come to work high or drunk, or oh, sure. we don't want you to have drugs on site. <clears throat> <clears throat> etc. That can be in the handbook for sure, because that applies to all employees. But some safety things are just going to be for a particular population, maybe a lot of them, but not all of them. Well, then from the standpoint of correlation, is it ever such that in the handbook, we will make a direct reference to oh. the requirement that you will follow all safety rules established by MinOSHA and other safety agencies? Absolutely. And often, okay. given these days where so much stuff is held on our on our phones or in the app, I will have a handbook that has you know, links in, in it to the safety book or that kind of thing so that you can easily cross-reference both of them. Well, Katie, looking down the road, what significant changes do you see for the future employee's handbook? Well, I see a bunch of different things changing. One, I think we're going to have paid family leave, which will provide for folks who are having babies or have sick parents or sick kids. But it's not going to be a handbook policy. In fact, I think what we're going to see is that you're going to get the time off and that's going to be protected, but the paid leave will come in the form or look remarkably like unemployment. 
so that the pay is a form of a tax, but the employer is totally out of it for what the amount is, how long it lasts for a particular employee, and all of that stuff. It'll work like unemployment. The employer will get the be required to give the amount of time off, but the pay will come from a statewide bucket. And this is what we see in states like Connecticut and New York right now. I think it's going to sweep the country. And because it will work like unemployment, it will ease the burden on employers. I'm not going to say that it's not going to be expensive. It might be pretty expensive, but in states like Connecticut, it comes from the employee portion of the taxes and not the employer portion of the taxes. So I think this is going to be something that employees will really like and employers will feel like they're not competing with other employers with paid leave because there's a lot of folks out there who are looking for, does this employer give me paid time off for when my kid is sick, when my mom is sick? And so I think those are really important things that's gonna change. The next thing I think is going to change, it's going to affect handbooks, is weed. Now, I love talking about weed. It is one of my favorite topics. Uh Uh-huh. I really enjoyed that the GOP in the Minnesota Senate, quote unquote, accidentally legalized edible and drinkable weed. I'm a big fan. I think, though, that this is going to change how we operate in drug-free workplaces. Now, a lot of contractors are required to be a drug-free workplace because of the contracts that they sign, whether it's with the state or with the federal government. But there's no requirement that you do testing, for weed, or you do drug testing unless it's a DOT type position. In those positions, let's set that aside for a second. For a lot of other employers, including contractors, doing testing is solely the employer's decision. So they don't necessarily have to do drug testing. And because drug testing for weed sucks, because you can't tell if someone's high by the drug test. You can't tell if they're high right now. For example, I'll admit, if you tested me right now, I would test positive but I'm not high right now. I haven't been high for several weeks. However, because the THC hides in body fat, those those of us with just a little bit more of it might stay in our system for a longer period of time. So I'll still test positive, but I won't actually be high. Because there's a fault in the testing, we're not going to be able to tell when someone's high. The other part of it is Minnesota has a lawful consumables uh, statute that says, if I lawfully consume something and I'm not high at work or I'm not drunk at work, you can't fire me for that. So I can go to Minneapolis Cider and enjoy a berry basil trail magic drink after work and get home safely. And the next day, come to work, test positive for weed, and you can't fire me because I did it lawfully. Even if you tested me positive and you offered me rehab, which is required under the Minnesota drug testing statute, blah, 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 you still can't discipline me because I did it lawfully. So there's going to be a lot of debate and a lot of policy changes around weed that will affect the handbook. But those are that's my favorite topic. So that's very interesting. I, um, I I'm aware of the the proliferation, to say the least, of uh, weed. Um, it's interesting. I, I think you'll be very busy in the future defending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see as an employer where um, if I had an employee that was under the influence and I've got him on uh, the seventh story of a building hanging external luminaires and he's only on a, land, or a, a single line and he falls and he 
as a problem, gosh, we have all kinds of things. And I, I think you'll probably uh, at a minimum be defending against insurance companies as a plaintiff going for, you can't let a guy work up there <laughs> well, on weed. But I think what <clears> it's <throat> going to change is that we're going to train managers on how to identify when someone's high. And instead of doing just the toolbox talk every day, mm -hmm. we're going to actually have a conversation with them. So for my clients, including contracting clients who are running cranes, who are running highway heavy road construction, they've got employees who are already medicinal users. And so they're like, well, we can't fire them because they're a medicinal user, but how do we make sure that they can operate the forklift, the skid steer, all of this equipment? And so our general response has been, you know what? Come have a conversation with your manager for one to two minutes before you get into any of that equipment. The manager is going to be trained to identify the slurred speech, the paranoia, the weird eye movements, the lack of coordination, and be able to say, hey, this person is prepared to work. They are ready to do the work that we are asking them to do. And by having that one to two minute conversation every day before they get into the, the equipment, we can tell if someone's drunk, if someone's high, if someone is not awake enough, not sure. concentrating enough. There's so many safety components to just having that conversation that we can prevent someone from getting in a dangerous position. But we have to rethink how we evaluate if someone's ready to operate that equipment. You can't just let everybody go. Well, that's an interesting concept. I had no way of uh, being aware of that entering our program today. And I think our listeners will, be, listeners will be, be interested to hear that because I think it's something that we older folks can probably not bury our head and sit in the sand and say it's not coming because we know it is. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it gives us a, a perspective of of thinking that is pretty well here whether we like it or not. And I'm okay with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. I mean, it's some, you know, you get a little older and sometimes you kind of think, uh, gosh, we did that, but we didn't do that. We don't tell people we did that. But the idea is, is of course, to, I, I think, be aware of it and roll with the punches and make the best of it rather than make trouble and, and think that. Because, uh, you know, uh, some of our contractors are older uh, persons on board with us, and we appreciate what they – and they listen to our presentations, and they like them. And I, I think <laughs> for those of you that are on board today, we, we welcome Kate's ideas that I think are in a future that is really something that's viable. Um, I, I know when I was a, a, a kid, alcohol was the, the big hex, and, and it still is. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, if you really think about it, I think what she's pointed out is there's some some stopgap measures in place that are certainly going to enable we as employers to ensure that we are employing safe operating people rather than a bunch of drug-crazed weirdos. <laughs> I guess that'd be the best way to say it. Well, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be done by just using some common sense and understanding what the workplace is like these days. I think if you look at mm -hmm. Colorado and California, early adopters of recreational weed, about one in four adults in, the, in those states imbibes once a month, okay? If you take that out of the potential workforce and say, well, these people can never come work for me, and we have unemployment rates of under 2%, you can't operate that way. No. And so you can come up with ways to make sure that people aren't high or drunk at work and that those can be effective. And you can open up your, your applicant pool so much wider. In fact, there's a, 
My favorite story is I was driving between Fargo and Bismarck, which I don't wish upon my enemy because I hate that drive. There's like nothing to see there, right? But there's this great big billboard that says, we don't test for weed, apply here with a phone number to call to apply for a job. They were using the fact that they weren't testing for weed as a recruitment tool. Like we're going to set ourselves apart because we don't care if you can buy weed outside of work. And I called the number because I was like, I'm super nerdy about these kinds of things. I'm like, I called the number. I'm like, I want to know, did this really improve your applicant pool? And they said, yes, about 25% more people applied after they put that billboard up. So it's like, oh, that's great. And this is in North Dakota when it was totally illegal and still totally illegal in North Dakota. But it's totally illegal. And they recognize that there's a portion of the population that wants to do weed who could come work for them, make good money. And they could be more productive. And so that's what they did. And it's growing. Yes. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) With that, Kate, it looks like our time's almost up. But uh, are there any final comments you'd like to make for our listeners today? Uh, Well, for many of your listeners, you'll probably know that I grew up in this industry. And I adore it. Um, There are lots of times where I will call a family member and say, I don't understand what's happening with this outlet. And they'd be like, where have you been? Did you not catch any of this? And I will say, I went to law school and erased all of the things. Um, So... I really do love this industry a great deal. It has a very warm spot in the cockles of my heart. So I appreciate them all. Well, we appreciate you. Uh, I'd like to thank you a great deal for being here today. It's really been my pleasure. I appreciate your candid thoughts on everything because it really makes it fun for listeners to hear all sides of all issues. Of course, to our special Katie Graham that organizes and puts me in the right place at the right time and gets things done. Thanks both for doing that for us today. So at this time, I'd like to wish everybody a great day and again, invite you back to another podcast from Sparkin' Conversations. I'm Mike Miller, your host. Be safe and we'll talk with you again soon. Spark and Conversations is a production of the Electrical Association. For more information, visit www.electricalassociation.com. Hey.